I want to talk to you today about truth. Before I get to that, I want to just share a little bit of a story with you. Uh, some of you may already know this. When I was a young boy, I grew up in a home in which I, I had five siblings. Four of them were boys, and one of them was a girl that I never crossed because she could beat me up. There came a day, though, in which she couldn't any longer, but that's beside the point. I grew up in a, in a very uh, high-testosterone home, if you will. We were constantly fighting. We broke a lot of furniture, just so you know. We, we were con not just wrestling and fighting, but we were also always yelling at each other. We were running around the house. My mom was a very shy introvert. God bless her soul. She has gone on to be with the Lord, and she is now receiving so much rest in the Lord. But I want you to know that we were more than a handful. We were more than two handfuls. I'm sharing that with you because that's my background that I then brought into a relationship with my wife-to-be. And Meredith grew up with a sister. So she knew how to treat young ladies. I knew how to treat young men. Kind of, uh, but I, I was not schooled in how to treat young ladies. So when I was building this relationship with my wife-to-be, I treated her just like I would anyone else in my home. And that was like a young man. Now, obviously, there was a little bit of difference. I caught that little bit of difference, right? But the truth is, I had to learn so much about women Indeed, women are from Venus and men are from Mars. They are, guys, you can affirm this, women are so different than us. For me, I, I remember watching just a few years ago the movie, I believe it was Courageous, uh, no, uh, Fireproof. And in Fireproof, there's a scene in which the older, or rather a fellow firefighter is speaking to, what's Cameron, what's Cameron, What's his uh, his name? In anyway, that the the character that he plays, and he is talking to him, uh, Caleb. There we go, Caleb, and he's he's talking to Caleb, and he's he's in essence talking to him about marriage, and he says, you know what, I've realized that I need to be educated about my wife, and. He goes on, in essence, to say he's getting his Ph.D. in his wife. And, and so I determined when I, when I was young, I'm going to try and get a Ph.D. in Mariology, Meredithology, excuse me, Meredithology. In other words, I'm going to study her so that I know how to treat her. But my problem was I treated her the way I had grown up. I treated her from what I believed was truth. That's what I was exposed to. That was my experience. Now, here's why I'm sharing this with you. Because we are coming into, whenever it is, it may be in our generation or future generations, and when Jesus returns. We call those years right before it the end times. That is, those years prior to the day of the Lord. And Scripture says that in those days, people will refuse to love the truth. I want to look at this concept, and we're going to find it, so go ahead and turn there with me, if you would, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, last week, I talked about the name of God that was, in, that was imparted or planted on or placed on 
those who believe in Jesus, that we have also received the seal of God. We've been sealed by the Spirit. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. Now, we also learned that Paul said that he bore the marks of God, specifically the marks of Jesus, the stigma or stigmata of Jesus. And we looked at what those were. Those were his persecutions and the sufferings that he went through. But those were the marks of God's ownership upon him. Now, we also looked at the mark of the beast very briefly. And it's because as we, I finished our study through the first five chapters of Revelation, I chose not to go through the rest of the book. That would have taken a couple of months. And instead, I just kind of hit a few themes. And this is the last one. And in essence, I'm going to be talking about the man of lawlessness. Now, my perspective on the man of lawlessness is that he is going to be an actual person that will come at the end of the age. But understand this, that though I may say he's the beast, understand that Revelation makes this very clear, that the beast once was, now is not, from John's perspective, from his writing, now is not, but is yet to come. So when I refer to the beast, let's understand that the beast has already lived. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. The beast has already lived, but that spirit of the beast will now live, will, will once again come again. I believe that he is the man of lawlessness. Now, there's so much that we could talk about. Revelation 13 says that this beast or this man of lawlessness, <coughs> excuse me, will actually receive from Satan himself his power, authority, and throne. And we're going to see a little bit of that in this man of lawlessness. Now, my point is not to delve into Revelation 13 or 16 that talks so heavily or 17 that talks so heavily about the beast. I want us to just focus on the man of lawlessness. And I really, some of you are already confused. Well, how could the beast have already lived and such? We're talking about world-dominating government. That's what the beast is. The beast is a person that Satan uses, controls, and leads world domination. We've seen that in certain kingdoms in the past, even before Christ, and we will see it one day in the future. My point is simply this. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about this man of lawlessness. He, I believe that when Jesus comes back, that's when he will be destroyed. That's a clue to me that this person will live right before Christ is revealed from heaven, in which he, he returns again to this earth. Okay? But I, I don't want us to get caught up in that too much because our focus is going to be on this concept of truth. It says in the Old Testament, and, and the prophet mourns over this, he says, truth has fallen in the streets. Truth has been trampled upon. And I can assure you, though, that those who trampled upon the truth in Jerusalem did not realize they were trampling upon the truth. And so it will be in the end time. People will not realize they're trampling on the truth, but they will be. Truth will have stumbled. It will have fallen in the streets. And it says that we're going to look at a phrase there. They refused to love the truth. And as Pilate said, well, what is truth? We're going to need to look at this. Because there is going to be a prevailing atmosphere on this earth when that time comes. Okay? 
Are you there with me? Second Thessalonians, I'm going to read the first, chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. It says, now concerning the coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered to him, which by the way, he spoke about in, their previous, in his previous letter to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just quickly read those last several verses of that chapter. You'll get it. This talks, he says, concerning. So what he's about to speak to them has to do with when Jesus comes back again, the coming of the Lord and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And if I may add, the Greek uses, follows with this word first, until the rebellion occurs first. I'm not sure why it's not present in the NIV. It is certainly there in the original Greek. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, until he is removed, if you will. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, and the, that is truth that comes from his mouth, by the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. When will the man of lawlessness be destroyed? When Jesus comes back. The word here for coming is the Greek word parousia. Um, if, if you happen to pick up any commentary in which a scholar is digging into some uh, biblical truths, they're gonna, you'll probably discover this word parousia. It literally means appearing or coming. It's a very common word that people even use today. Parousia. You have no idea what that Greek word means, but it means coming. People use it rather readily, okay? This is what he is talking, Jesus is parousia. That is when he comes again. Now listen to this, verse nine. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the power of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Father, I just pray, speak so clearly to our hearts today. Challenge us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the first thing that I want us to, the first and controlling question that I have is, what is truth and, and how do we not love truth? 
I think we're going to see something unfold here that sets the world up. The world, not the church, the world up to be able to not want the truth. The first thing is Paul says that apparently there has been a letter or a prophecy or, or something, some rumor that has been filtering amongst the Thessalonians that they believe has actually come from Paul, and he's saying it hasn't, and that is that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, let's understand that the day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back. It's when we are gathered up to be with him. We will receive our resurrected bodies. If we move on in 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 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we continue to come to the earth with Jesus, and he destroys all wickedness. At that point, Scripture tells us that when he comes, he comes to judge the earth. Now, I'm not going to get into my millennial view at this point, but I would suggest to you that when he comes, he renders judgment. The dead are raised, we are judged, and then he destroys the earth completely, And he inaugurates his new kingdom in which, as John says, he saw a new heavens and new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God to the earth. That would be his kingdom. Now, if you were to, to study the day of the Lord, we also recognize that there is destruction that comes. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that Paul is not telling them that apparently you've gotten some rumor, supposedly from us, that Jesus has already come back. Paul is writing this. An apostle is right. Just by him writing, they would immediately know, well, of course Jesus hasn't come back yet. There are certain things that happen on the day of the, on the, day of the Lord, which is one of which is destruction. And I'm just going to suggest to you that they were experiencing some measure of destruction or judgment, some of those judgments laid out for us in Revelation. 6 through 20. And so they were they assumed, well, the day of the Lord is already here. Not the day of the Lord has already come and gone. The day of the Lord is already here. Now, what happened, and you can read about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, some decided to have second coming parties. Now, they didn't use that phrase, but these second coming parties were basically, hey, Jesus has come back any day. I'm quitting my job. I'm not working the fields, and I'm just going to kick back, and I'm going to be lazy. Well, they wouldn't say that. They would just say, I'm just getting ready because he's coming back any moment now. And Paul actually has to rebuke them. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's the principle here. You don't work, you don't eat. So, but many of them had quit their jobs. They were not working. And it's because of this. So he addresses it in chapter two. Apparently you think the day of the Lord has already come. Now he tells them, In verse 5, I've already talked to you about this. I've already talked to you about some of these things. I'm going to tell you them again. In essence, the day of the Lord is not here. Because certain things must take place before the day of the Lord. What is that? It says here that the rebellion. Now, the Greek word here is apostasia. We get our word apostasy from that. The apostasy must come first. Now, Paul has already talked to them about this apostasy. Now, the reason why the NIV translates it rebellion is because, I mean, that's a fair enough 
translation of this word. It means a turning away or a revolt, a rebellion. But generally, the New Testament uses this word in a spiritual sense. It's a spiritual rebellion or an apostasy. It's used only one time politically in Acts 5, and that is a political rebellion, revolt, turning away. I'm going to suggest it's very possible that it's both of them, but I just don't want you to, to, to think that it's simply some political rebellion. It is an apostasy, an apostasy. It is a turning away. And in Matthew 24, 10, Jesus actually warns us of this. And he says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. They will apostatize, that's the verb there, from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people, etc., etc. And also, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord clearly says that in later times, some will abandon, that is, turn away from, or apostatize, that's the verb here again, abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So I'm going to suggest to you that this apostasy needs to come first before the day of the Lord. Now, I, I want to just camp out here for a moment. I want you to realize that though in the last day, though throughout the ages, we have always seen people turning away from the faith. There is going to, that is going to happen in an accelerated fashion before the day of the Lord. But let me just encourage you with this. I believe that before that time, we will see a global awakening take place in this world. Global awakening. There's, there's two dozen verses, more than that, in both Old and New Testament that speak to this. I'm just going to read or tell you about a, a, a seven of them. Matthew 13, 33. It says that the yeast of the kingdom will leaven the whole lump. And Jesus' understanding, he tells us that the whole lump is the whole world. That the kingdom will leaven and impact the entire world. Romans 16, 26. The mystery of the gospel is made known so that all nations might believe and obey. What's the purpose of the mystery of God? It is to impact the world so that all nations will believe and obey. Revelation 10, 7 says this concerning the seventh trumpet, that when it sounds, it says, no more delay. The mystery of God will be accomplished at that time. The mystery of God will be accomplished. In other words, all nations will believe and obey. Now, I am not suggesting that every single person of those nations is going to become Christian. They're not. We know that the weeds and the wheat will grow up together. The wheat, Darnell, looks just like the weed, just like the wheat. The Greek, there, the Greek word there means darnell. You, they look, if you were to, show, I remember showing you pictures some time ago, as, as the plants go up, grow up, the only time in which you see the difference is when the heads open. And wheat, when it opens up, the fluffy wheat that, that begins to develop into the kernels looks very different than the darnell. The Darnell looks just like a bunch of fluff, and that's it. No seeds. It's empty. They're going to grow up. And, and this is where Jesus is going to experience this throughout the ages. And I'm just going to suggest at the, at the end of the age, this will be even more pronounced. 
in which people will, there's something that is going to happen that will turn hearts away from the truth of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see here is an apostasy. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to keep telling you about this global awakening. Isaiah 11.9 says, For the earth will be full, full, to complete fullness. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. That is every square inch, including the 1040 window. In which, the, in which there are certain religions concerning Islam and Buddhism and animism that are so prevalent there. And Christianity, it's not that it has not taken root there in Hinduism, uh, but rather there's, there's strong, strong persecution towards Christians there. All right. Now, even there throughout the world as the water covers the seas. Isaiah 2, verse 1. All nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord, which Isaiah, throughout his oracle, tells us that that is the kingdom of God. Compare it with Daniel 2. The rocks that's carved out of the mountain that, dashed at the, that was dashed at the feet of the idol that, that, that in the stream that Isaiah saw, excuse me, that has, wow, that Nebuchadnezzar saw, and it says it destroyed that huge idol, that image, and it says it filled the whole earth. And he tells us that that rock was the kingdom of God. It will fill the whole earth. Psalm 72, verses 8 through 11. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Psalm 22, 27 to 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. I mean, there, there, uh, there's 15 more that we could look at. I'm not going to do that. I want you to see that we're talking about an apostasy and a falling away from the faith. Let's understand that there is something absolutely global in its impact that will happen on this earth, and that is the Spirit of God being poured out and the gospel bearing much fruit throughout this world. Now, I believe we're moving in that direction, but we're not there, church. At some point, I believe that the, the text tells us, but at some point, something's going to happen that is going to break loose and aid in this apostatizing. It says here that right that during Paul's day, that the spirit of lawlessness, or that is the, um, the mystery or the secret power of lawlessness, that is sin, is very prevalent in the world. But it is being restrained. During Paul's day, it's being restrained. And he says this, that there's going to come a time in which that, that whoever is restraining, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Some believe that it's an angel given charge to restrain evil in this world. But I want you to know that right now, whether it feels this way or not, evil is actually being restrained, even in America. Evil is being restrained. It's being held back, but there's going to come a time in which the one who is restraining it will step aside and there will be a full unleashing of evil upon this earth. Can I just say, Hebrews 3 talks about the deception of sin. And even us as Christians, if we're not careful and we let sin into our lives, that sin can begin to deceive us 
And it says in Hebrews 3 also that it can begin to harden our hearts if we're not careful. You see, this is why God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it wants to master you. It wants to have you, wants to control you. Christian, I want you to know you're a believer in Jesus. We are kept by the power of God through faith. But listen to this. Sin crouches at the door of every single one of us, and it wants to control you. The challenge to us is, am I going to make a choice to open this door and let it have me, let it control me? And I'm just going to encourage you today, if sin is doing that in your life, press into God. Because the devil is going to try and set you up. Because once sin begins to control us as believers, once it continues to harden our hearts, it wants us to refuse to love the truth. It wants to reject truth. And we see that in our day. And I'm going to get to it in just a moment. But we see that beginning to happen in our day. Truth is being compromised. What is being called truth is not something that I read about in my Bible. And yet it is called Christian. They say we are thoroughly orthodox. And they try to say that their teachings go back to the first century. It absolutely does not. So orthodoxy means something completely different. Evangelicalism is something completely different than what they say it is. But they claim this is Christianity. It's called progressive Christianity. Now, progressive Christianity covers a big gamut. I'm going to get to it in just a moment. But church, why are we at where we're at today? Why is it that at one point, people in this world will refuse to love the truth? I'm going to let you know right now, it's not because everybody becomes an atheist. It's because the truth that they're holding on to and they believe in is not the truth at all. So I want you to imagine with me the world at this time, at the end of the age, in which they refuse to love the truth. Why would they do that? I, I mean, I get it, Satan's deceiving and so on, but the first thing that I said happens and Paul tells us the apostasy must occur first. Can you imagine the world looking on and seeing people who claim to be Christians completely falling away? Just turning their backs on God. No longer following after. I mean, we see some of this in our day. It will become accelerated at the end of the age. That concerns my heart. Though we experience a global awakening the enemy, like he's, he, he realizes the end is here, he's going to say, he, he's, he's going to fight as hard as he can. The next thing is that lawlessness, the secret power of lawlessness will be unleashed because God, in essence, will step back and he will give Satan a short time. And I'm going I'm, I'm to just encourage you that if you or I ever see that day, please never leave the truth of God's word. And I'm going to talk about this more in just a moment, but this is our stability. This is our foundation. No other truth that's out, truth that's out there. 
Let me just tell you the significance of the truth of God's word. I'm going, to t- I'm going to just walk you through this very briefly. God has always been. I don't care what atheists say. Nothing that man says can controvert or erase truth. No matter, no matter what people believe, truth is truth and it will never change. I'm going to suggest to you that there is a God. Nothing, excuse me, something can never come from nothing. This world, this universe is here because it was created. It just didn't, science has no answer. They try to come up with a a bunch of ideas, but they all, every single one of them, do not fall in the area of the scientific. They fall in the area of science fiction. The multiverse that's so popular in Marvel comic books, oh, don't get me wrong, that is very popular in the scientific field. But there's zero evidence for it. But how else are they going to explain there's a universe here? How else are they going to explain the incredible design of this universe? There's so much more that could be said. God is here. If God created you and you're relational, don't you think that he would not just want to have a relationship with you, but you have a relationship with him? Don't you think that's, if, did God just create us and turn around and leave us to our own and say, well, good luck, guys? No, he is one. He created us to have a relationship with us, and it's a two-way street. How, how are you going to do that? How are you going to have a relationship? Are you just going to look up at the sky and say, okay, then God is this, 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 this. To a degree, we can do that, but to some degree, God has to speak to us. He has to say something to us. We just can't look around the universe and give it our best guess. Everybody comes up with different conclusions on that. So what is truth? Who is God? How do we even define God? What is he like? I'm telling you that for for me to have gotten to know my wife, she had to tell me about her. I had to hear, how do I treat my wife? I needed to listen to her. I didn't want to just guess based on how I grew up because I grew up with a bunch of guys and I didn't want to treat her that way. And I went down that street and it wasn't pretty. And and so I I, I had this relationship with my wife and it was based on what, truth? No. So I had to listen to her. I had to tell me. I had to ask questions. I had her to share with me. She was hurt. You're hurt? Hey, rub some dirt in it, you know? Come on, rub some dirt in it. You'll get over it. I didn't use those terms, but that's how I treated her. And wow, I, my wife was so different. She was so much more emotional than me. Well, I'll set her straight. Yep. Can those emotions. You'll, do, you'll, be, you'll be a lot better off. And, and I realized, wow, how insensitive that is. But see, as guys, that's what we did. Hey, don't cry about this. Come on brother punch him in the arm i never punched her in the arm just so you know but i needed to hear from her and she would speak truth to me about her women and how i needed to treat her god has spoken to us what is truth where do we find this i'm going to tell you this right now i believe that the bible is the truth but now when i and i started this when i was 20 years of age i went back how do i even know that this is truth i believe it is but there is, the, is there any empirical evidence? Is there anything like a lawyer laying evidence before a court? Is there any evidence to this? And I began to look at the evidence. And I'm going to just let you know this. Such as 
the prophecies concerning Christ, over 300 that he fulfilled, some of which he had, most of which he had zero control over, like being where he would be born, in Bethlehem, Ephrata, in the city of David. So many prophecies that he fulfilled. Isaiah 53, 12 verses, amazing prediction about Jesus. Many verses from Psalm 22. And as I began to look at this, wow, the prophecies, amazing. Prophecies of the destruction of certain cities we could go into that just blew my mind how God fulfilled every single step. It was like, wow. The, 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 the chances of Babylon falling exactly the way the prophets said they would, and they predicted it hundreds of years beforehand, just couldn't happen. Apart from God speaking through these, somehow revealing the future to these prophets. Jesus' resurrection. I mean, what is, you can't prove the resurrection. There's so many proofs about Jesus' resurrection. How on earth would a group of people, his disciples, and 120 others, Acts chapter 1, how on earth would they be willing to die for something that was, un, that was not true? Because Jesus appeared to them, 12 apostles willing to give up their lives and die at any moment for what they saw. Now, we could go through so many uh, arguments and, and proofs for why I believe that the scriptures are valid. And I'm going to suggest to you, there is no other religion that even comes close to these types of evidences. None. And then when I was 20 years old and I was just wrestling in my faith, I discovered some books and, and it, it led me in the study called Apologetics. And, and I would just stood back and I'd say, wow, God, this is truth. There's no other book that even comes close to it. And I would suggest to you, if you think there is, please come talk to me. I, I have no problem if you were to come talk to me. But as I've spent the last 40 years looking at the word and, and looking at the evidence for it, it never ceases to amaze me how valid, how true the word of God is. And so there's going to come a time, though, in which people will thumb their nose up at the truth. They will start redefining it. And I'm going to tell you this, number one, when you see a bunch of people who call themselves Christians saying, I'm packing it in, that's going to impact the world. And I'm going to tell you this. If you are wondering, is there a God? Does he even really love me? And you're considering walking away from God, understand how that will impact the people around you. Because in this day, they're going to step back and they're going to say, of course Christianity is not true. Or at least their brand of Christianity is not true. Then the man of lawlessness will appear. Now, it tells me here, I need to find my place back here in 2 Thessalonians, and it, <coughs> it says, he will oppose and will exalt himself above everything that is called God and is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, can I just, I'm going to be very brief with this. I realize that there is a very strong, particular view of the end times in our day today. It is dispensationalism. Though many don't align themselves with dispensationalism per se, they do align themselves with their end times view. Regardless, they would look at this and they would suggest that Jerusalem will one, or the Jews will one day rebuild God's temple, and they point to this verse. Now, can I suggest to you that if the temple 
that, he's ref- that if the temple in the Old Testament was simply shadows and pictures of Jesus, and that was then destroyed in 70 AD, why would there be a temple that is then going to be called the temple of God in which there will be animal sacrifices and festivals and the whole nine yards that the temple used to have? Why would God do that? Now, I'm not going to say that the temple may not be rebuilt. Right now, it seems like a high improbability with the Dome of the Rock there, but let's say it happens. Would Paul want to call that a temple of God? I'm just going to suggest to you he would not. Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled it. Read the read Hebrews, especially chapter 8. All of the sacrifices, the temple, the priesthood, all of that has become obsolete, he says. And what's becoming obsolete and aging will soon disappear. I believe Hebrews was written shortly before 70 AD, and in 70 AD, it all was gone. Why would God want that to take? And if there is a temple, it most certainly would not be called a temple of God. Can I suggest something to you? This word temple of God is used eight times in Paul's, re- Paul's letters. Eight times, the temple of God or God's temple. Eight times. Apart from this then, seven times. Every single one of those times, God's temple is clearly meant to be the body of Christ, the church. Every time. There's no exception. That's how Paul uses this term. Can I suggest then, in view of those seven usages of it, that maybe that's what he's referring to here? And if he is, understand that the man of lawlessness will be a very religious man. He will be one who will have claimed to be a Christian even, a leader in the, in the church, and he will reject the Christian beliefs and eventually come to this point where in all deception he claims himself to be God. How will the world respond to that? You know what, guys? We have enough fallen leaders in our day to hurt the representation of Christ in this world. And then this, now I I don't want to speak to it anymore or who I think it is because everybody has their guesses and I truly don't care about guesses. But this man will come. I believe he will set himself up within Jesus' visible church, the visible church, that is those who call themselves Christians, the visible church. And he will eventually declare himself God. How does that happen? How does it happen that people not only move away from God, but one of its leaders rejects Christianity, and then through false signs and wonders, his goal is to deceive the world to follow after him. Now understand that the secret power of lawlessness is now being fully unleashed in this world. And I'm going to suggest to you, church, When the church stops falling in love with the truth of God's word, we will begin to open the door to all kinds of evil because the man of lawlessness doesn't deceive everyone simply by false signs and wonders. He does it with every form of evil and somehow calls it good. How does this happen? Because people call evil good and they even do it in the church.
Again, the visible church, the invisible church. See, the invisible church are those who truly believe in Jesus. But who are they? I'm not going to go around and say who the visible church is. We are the church. But even in our midst, there may be those who truly do not follow Jesus. They've not truly been born again, and they call themselves Christians. I get that. But I, that's above my pay grade to decide who is and who isn't. Who's the wheat and who's the darnell? I don't know. By your fruit, you shall know them. But you know what? The world is going to experience something. Now, it's going to be on a global level, and it is going to all come back to this rejection of the truth. Progressive Christianity. That is not something that's new, by the way. The original label was liberal Christianity. They began to say, hey, you know what? Everyone is going to be going to heaven. Christianity isn't exclusive, it's inclusive. It includes everybody because Jesus died for everybody and eventually everyone will be redeemed, everyone will be going to heaven. And, and why even have faith in Jesus Christ? Why repent of our sins? Why follow after him even to the point of death I'm called to? If it means nothing. Hey, the person I'm trying to reach, the emperor that I'm sharing the gospel with, Paul standing before kings to call them to follow after Jesus. Paul, why are you doing it to sacrifice your life if, hey, they're going to go to heaven anyway? There's too much that's on the line here. But eventually, you know, liberal Christianity, just like I treated my wife in the beginning of our marriage, the way I grew up with brothers, liberal Christianity said, you know what? I'm going to define love, not based on the word of God, but what I think love is. Hell. Hell doesn't sit well with me, so you know what? I'm going to find some way to erase this doctrine of hell from the Bible. And can I tell you, I, I don't feel comfortable with hell. Because I am a, I am still, though I'm a saint, I still sin and my eyes are not completely opened to all of God's truth. I understand that hell is a real doctrine, teaching in the word of God. But you know what? I, I, my definition of love needs to come more fully in line with God's word. And I, I just have to come to this point where, you know, Lord, I don't have to understand fully this concept of hell. I, I, I don't have to fully understand it. But I know that it is. They, they go on to say that, you know what? I need to find my place here. Um, sexual morals and sexual orientation. That's a toying cost. Because we can't look at this book here because this is what they say. Only some of it is truth. It contains truth. So it's up to me as the reader to find, well, what is truth? And I am the one, you are the one that decides what is truth. Can I just tell you, that is a scary thought. How are we to be judges of what God said? You know what? I'd be willing to defend every verse in this book. And if there appears to be some contradiction, I'm going to tell you right now, there is not, and that there is an answer to our questions. So can I just encourage you, what is so prevalent among progressive Christianity 
And, and, and I'm going to say they're, they're not all just liberal. It does include some conservative teachings cons- with regard to the gospel. And some of them may indeed be saved. So let's be careful. But what is highly exalted in progressive Christianity is this concept of questioning and doubting. Now, if you've not seen NUMA videos by Rob Bell, I'm not going to encourage you to, but they started in the 90s. And Rob Bell's Bell's, uh, motivation was to just question everything. Now, I'm fine with questioning things because hopefully my questions will lead to answers. But Rob Bell never gave answers. He left it at the question. Now, if you look where Rob Bell's life is today, he has fully embraced progressive liberal Christianity and he has rejected the faith in many ways. And I, and I pray for him. I don't know exactly where he stands, but wow, what he stands for, it scares me and it concerns me. He does not look at this book and say, this is the truth on which I stand. That is going to become so prevalent in the days ahead. It's in, our, it's in the world right now. When we visited Europe, we talked with some people there. I remember talking with one gentleman, and he, I asked him about all the churches. Yeah, a lot of the churches now are bars, or they're this or that. They don't use them as churches anymore. And actually, churches that have been planted and are new, they don't go to the old church buildings. They take bars and turn them into churches. Okay, is this an even exchange? But the truth is, is he shared with me, you know what? I just believe that everybody has the truth. When we start saying that everybody has the truth, and that truth just contradicts everywhere you turn, you have to say, then what is truth? Because truth doesn't contradict itself. Is Jesus the Son of God, or is he not? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, is that true, or is it not? And if it's true, and that is the bedrock claim in the gospel, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, not, not Confucius, not Buddha, not, not some other philosopher. It's not that they don't have good things to say, but they can't lead me to the Father. Only Jesus can. Jesus was the one who paid for my sin. And it was that sin that kept me from this relationship with God that he reveals this is what you can have. And sin, sin was, it, it was a wall. It was a barrier. And Jesus came to remove that barrier so that I can have this intimacy with the God that created me. That is the heart of the gospel. There is no other religion that talks about this and this ability to remove sin by Jesus, by someone's death, so that now I can have this intimate relationship with the God that created me. So can I just say, if, if everybody has the truth, then can I suggest, then there is no truth. It is all opinion. Did God create us? And just say, hey, just... Have at your own opinion. Just believe whatever you want to believe. He told us through the word of God, this Bible is truth. How can I enter into this life-saving relationship with him through his son, Jesus? But we have this concept of Inclusivity within progressive Christianity, 
and says, it doesn't matter how you live. If you say you're a Christian, then you're a Christian. But what about the heart? Did Jesus not change the heart? Are, are, are we going to just include everybody? I want everyone to be included. Don't get me wrong. The, the knowledge of God will fill this earth as the waters cover the seas. But that doesn't mean you can just believe whatever you want. And so when we come to the word of God, this is my anchor. When I leave my anchor, I become open to all kinds of deceptions. People begin to question the miracles. They begin to question all of the doctrines. It, I mean, Jesus bodily rising from the dead. Come on, we've never seen that happen. And so let's question it. Let's use science. Conclusion, there's no way that someone can rise from the dead, therefore it didn't happen. You know, the gospel writers, the New Testament writers, they were just simply saying that Jesus spiritually rose, not bodily rose. That is completely contrary to the testimonies, though, of everyone who saw Jesus Resurrection, he appeared to them. They touched him. Okay? So much more that could be said about that. It impacted people so they were willing to die for what they believed in, that Jesus rose from the dead. Even the apostle, even the apostle James, first martyr, he could have recanted, no, I, I, I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. I didn't touch him. I didn't. No, of course not. He didn't. But by doing that, he was beheaded. Acts chapter 12. Wow. Why would you do that? Was James just completely deceived? Something impacted him. A miracle that took place. And he saw his Savior. He could touch him, feel him. But he saw him die on the cross. He showed him the nail prints in his hands and feet. Incontrovertible proofs. He had died, but now that he had been raised from the dead. And I read about this in the book of the Bible, The Truth. And I cannot, I cannot, for the sake of compromise and peace with the world, compromise my convictions. I have to start here. Progressive Christianity questions everything and tries to rework this and so that truth aligns with their opinion. You know what? I pray that I do this well that I do this properly, but I want my opinion and what I believe to not determine how I view the Bible and what I believe the truths of the Bible are, but rather the truths of the Bible determine what I believe. We're getting that mixed up in our generation. I'm just simply saying to you, church, there's going to come a time in which people will not tolerate the truth anymore. They won't tolerate it anymore, and we will be living in a day in which the man of lawlessness will be deceiving so many people because they have taken truth and cast it by the wayside. But can I just be honest with you? They would never see it that way. The world will not, when, at the end of the age, they will not see it that way. They will truly believe they are embracing and holding on strongly to what is true. When I spoke with this cab driver in Holland, Oh, he believed so firmly that all religions were right. I, I, there was only, I wanted to be gracious with him. Church, I, I want you to know, I, I want to be gracious with doubters. There were times in which I doubted. I questioned. 
But questions and doubting is to, to lead us to truth. And that truth will be found in the word of God. When we start questioning and start redefining who God is and what truth is, we will soon abandon the faith. When Jesus comes back, though, it says by the breath of his mouth, all that this man of lawlessness will have done will be completely destroyed, including he himself. And, and can I just suggest, church, for us today, we need to be lovers of the truth. We cannot afford to compromise. We cannot afford to say, well, what do I think love is? And then go to the word and define certain doctrines like hell and certain doctrines like inclusivity, exclusivity. What is this and who's included? And you know what? I just want everyone to go to heaven. Church, so do I. But I'm not going to read that into the Bible. I've got to let the truth speak for itself and base what I believe in there. But there's going to come a day in which people will no longer do that. And they'll just believe whatever, as Paul says, whatever their itching ears want to hear. We're in this day in which there's so many people abandoning the truth, redefining it, following Christ. But when they start telling you who this Jesus is, he looks so very different than what this book tells me Jesus truly was. They talk about a spirit of God that does not line up with what the scriptures teach me. They've redefined it. They've redefined the gospel. They've redefined the truth. And they've abandoned it. We live in a day right now in which church, if you're not careful, when you're going through the hard times, when you're walking through the fire and you're wading through the water and you feel the water is rising up and you're saying, God, where are you? You are being tested right then. Am I going to keep following God? Or am I going to just say, I'm done with it? And some men that I pray for regularly that have abandoned the faith, or at least it appears to, they appear to have, I pray for them that God, may they once again love what is truth and not reject it. But the reason why people perish, the text tells us, the reason why they do is because they have refused to love the truth and so be saved. And God says, fine, you rejected my truth. And in Romans 1, he said, I'm going to give you over to this, and I'm going to give you over to this, and I'm going to give you over to this, because that is the power of sin. When sin begins to deceive, it leads me astray. I redefine truth, I redefine God and who Jesus is and what life is all about. And I have abandoned truth at that point. Church, can you stand with me? I'm going to call us to be lovers of the truth. I'm going to call us. Don't abandon this. No matter what difficulty you're going through, always, whenever you go through trials, go back to the truth. What does the word of God tell me about God himself and about Jesus? That's what I'm going to choose to believe in. He promises me that he'll never leave me or forsake me. He promises that all things will work out for and actually work together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. These are promises that he has for us. He promises that we can actually have pure Undiluted joy 
when we go through trials of many kinds. Why? Because this is the truth, and this is who God is. He doesn't change. He is good. And even in the midst of your fire and feeling as if you're drowning, God is still that loving God calling you. Just keep trusting me. Keep following me. Keep pursuing me. I have not forsaken you. Father, I just ask you, Lord, please continue to speak to our hearts. And where the enemy is trying to get in the back door, God, please, may we stand firm. A day is coming in which many will choose not to. May that never be me. May I keep pressing in and pursuing you, God. No matter how hard life gets, you are the God of love. You're the one who reached down into my life and rescued me. I didn't reach up to you and somehow pull myself up. I couldn't. I needed your grace, God. Father, I just pray, don't ever let the enemy snatch the word of God from our hearts. Don't ever let the thorns as they're growing up around us choke us and choke the word and keep us from bearing fruit. I pray for every single person here, lovers of the truth, that they would grow and they would abide in the truth. They would abide in Jesus himself and they would produce much fruit in the name of Jesus. So that, Father, we would see, maybe even in our day, this global awakening in which the word of God fills the earth, even as the waters fill the seas. Would you do this, God, in our day? Encourage us today, Lord God, with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.